Welcome back to the Hoop Journal Podcast. We're back after about a two-week hiatus. Uh, We've got a great episode for you today. I'm bringing on my friend Ryan, the same guy I had on for the first episode of this podcast. Today we're going to talk about the MVP ballot, the All-Star Game. We're going to break down a few teams individually, just talk about how we feel about them. We're going to talk about the trade deadline. It's a great episode. As always, thank you guys for listening and enjoy today's episode. All right, so I got my man Ryan on for today's episode. Ryan, how you doing today? What's up, everybody? How we doing today? So we got a lot of things on the docket. It's been a minute since I've had an episode, so there's a lot to catch up on. First thing I want to talk about is uh, the MVP race. We're approaching halfway through the season, 32 games or so in. So I wanted to talk about the MVP race so far and um, how we're going to measure it this year, like what what factors are going to uh, be at play here for the MVP race since it's such a unique season. So tell me who you got through 30 or so games in your top five for the MVP ballot. Um, so, I mean, like, like you said, we're at like the, the, the 32, 33 uh, game mark in the season. I, my top five guys, it's, I ranked it one through five. It's not necessarily like one through five, like this would be my ballot. It's kind of like I have the, my top two guys, and then I have three guys that are kind of conditional. Really depends on on how the rest of the season plays out, but I could very realistically see them stacking the award at some point. Um, so number one and number two, I have LeBron and KD respectively. Um, LeBron obviously is playing like 38 minutes a game. AD and Schroeder have been out, uh, keeping the Lakers afloat. Uh, I mean, just what he's doing at at this age how important he is to his team, everything that he gives them. You'll watch a Lakers game. I mean, my girlfriend loves the Lakers. We watch a lot of Lakers games, honestly. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a Celtics fan, it's tough. But <laughs> you take your medicine. It's it's fun because we get to watch games together, so it's totally worth it. Yeah, you can um, take it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, you watch LeBron. He's not super involved in the action. He's kind of picking his spots. And then he's like, oh, he has – 29-7-8 and a steal. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, he's it's, having... It's just, the way that, just the way that he controls the pace of games, the way that, um, you know, just the, the calmness that he provides for a team is something that you don't really see anywhere else in the league. It's, it's uh, kind of tremendous how large a part he is of, of what they do. It's kind of hard to imagine. In, in general, um, just all around, uh, but especially with somebody his age. Um, KD, he looked terrific from the start of the season, honestly, coming back from a pretty tough injury. Uh, you never really know how he's going to look, if you're going to get, you know, the full spe- spectrum of, of what you expect from him. Uh, I, I say he looks like the KD that we know and love. Yeah, he might as well be, he 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 might as well be 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, he looks awesome when he's on the floor. It's conditional. It's he's he's my number two guy because I mean he's already missed I don't, I don't know how many games this year. I, I don't know if you know. Uh, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I want to say I want to say it's twelve. I'm looking up though. Twelve. Yeah, I mean, like you know, we'll we'll see how many games he plays. 
for the rest of the year. Um, but, you know, if not LeBron, maybe when AD comes back, I could see AD going on a tear, LeBron kind of rushing up for the playoffs, maybe only playing like 31, 32 minutes a game for a stretch, you know, kind of towards the end of the year. But I, he really wants the MVP award, so that probably won't happen. Um, but it, it could. It could. Say he hurts his quad again or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, God forbid. Yeah, this minute load. I mean, that's that's what I'd be worried about if yeah. I was Father Lakers. Um, he can yeah. he can say all he wants about how he feels fine. He doesn't need the rest, but yeah. he'll, he's going to need the rest hard. if he if he pulls his hamstring in, in May. You know, so it, yeah. Well, it, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, when it happens to you in May, right, you're going to really regret just going full tilt. So, moving on though. Uh, yeah, that third spot and that fourth spot, I feel like two guys who are also close to each other are uh, Dame, I had third, and Embiid. Uh, again, both pretty conditional. Looking at what Dame's been able to do, uh, what the Trailblazers have been able to do with him, with CJ, and Nurkic missing significant a uh, significant amount of time, um, it's pretty impressive uh, how he's been able to really keep their offense going been able to put up some crazy stat lines. I think he should have been all-star starter. Obviously, I have him in my MVP ballot. Um, I, I'm a huge Dame fan. He, he's gotten better literally every year since he's gotten into the league. When you think he's not going to take that next step, he does. Um, I, I think he's having an MVP caliber season, MVP caliber campaign. Uh, maybe if the Trailblazers get healthy and they get hot, they finished top three in the West. I could see Dame snagging an MVP award, but you know if they're in the four or five or six range, I, I don't really see it happening for him. But regardless, he's having a campaign that's worthy of, of MVP consideration for sure. I agree. Like what he's done without without CJ and Nurk is ridiculous. But I agree. If they're like if they're in the middle of the Western Conference, he probably won't have the the support for MVP. But yeah, I agree with everything you yeah. said. He's he's gotten better every year, continues to take leaps. But yeah, just what, what he's done with no CJ and no Nurk is is pretty incredible. Uh, fourth, you have Embiid, right? Yeah, yeah. Fourth is Embiid, and you know Embiid is the same question that it's always been: uh, is can he keep the motor up? You know, can he do it consistently? But what he's done this year is is impressive. I feel like we've kind of seen another level. He's an animal. He's kind of tapping into what people have been waiting to see from him. I feel like this year, mm-hmm. the 76ers team success is is definitely a huge part of the the award. If they can be right up there with Brooklyn as the team to be in the East, you know, if if they can be if they can finish ahead of the Bucks, if they can finish top two, you know, and maybe some of the production in Brooklyn is a little more spread out by the end of the year. Uh, I could definitely see Embiid getting the award, but you know I could also see him having like a tough stretch at some point, like we've seen with him so many times. So it's still a mixed bag with him, even though it's been really great so far. Um, it's still a mixed bag with him. You still don't necessarily know what you're going to get, but the way he's been performing this year, you can't not mention him. Yeah, I agree. He, um, yeah, like you said, the the question is the consistency. But if he were to you know, mirror his performance for the next 33 games, I think he's a lock for mm-hmm. the top three. Like, if, if that happens and there's still yeah. the one seed or the two seed in the East, like, I don't see how he doesn't finish at least top three. Yeah, at least top three. Like he, top he's three. gotten – he's put he's been consistent so far this year, and he's gotten better. His his ability to, to yeah. pass out of double teams has improved. 
his face-up game yeah. and working into his post-up game. Like he's really found a way to not just be a face-up player, not just be a post-up player. Like he's really combining the ways that he scores. Like he's, yeah. he's just getting more creative offensively. And yeah, yeah, I think as long as as long as they're at the top of the Eastern Conference and he doesn't have one of those fatigue stretches for like two weeks, then yeah, he's right in the yeah. mix. It's just that you still you still have to wait and see. You know, you look at guys like Dane, KD, and LeBron. So, like, I know what I'm getting from them as individuals. Yeah, and Bede's still and at a point where he has to prove it. Yeah. He, he doesn't exactly. get any benefit it's of the just... doubt when it comes to the MVP. Yeah, exactly. And then, who do you have fifth? Uh, so, fifth, actually, is, and this, again, is conditional. KD would not be able to finish top three, but I have Harden uh, as my fifth guy. You can't forget about the first three weeks in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not only, I mean, the the title, the, the award is most valuable player. It's pretty hard to argue that somebody who behaved the way that he did in the beginning of the season was the most valuable player of that same season. Yeah, he was he was um, the antithesis of valuable for Houston um, until, <laughs> right. until he was traded for the weeks. assets they got for him. He was, yeah, far from valuable. So I think that definitely factors yeah. in. Yeah, it's you can't forget about it, and I I'm very adamant about that. You can't let people forget about it. He doesn't get a free pass for that. Right. Also, um, that being said, well, go ahead. Go uh, KD has played 19 of Brooklyn's 34 games this season. Okay, but I mean, just back to Harden. Like, I, I honestly I, I feel guilty admitting this, but the Nets are really one of my favorite teams to watch. I mean, like. <laughs> That's an obvious statement, but I'm just it's a rival. I don't want them to be one of my favorite teams to watch. You have to play them four times a year, but I love watching them. Yeah, it's I not a, like it's not a team I like. It's definitely not a team I like. I'm not definitely not a Kyrie fan. I don't really like Harden, but boy, they're fun to watch. Yeah, I, yeah, there's really no... But just watching this team is, is so much fun. It was fun before Harden got there. He is just so gifted offensively. It, it's ridiculous some of the things he can do. Yeah, I actually think Harden has the better case than KD because, for one, the games, yeah, just the games going played. Forward, yeah, maybe not so far, but going forward. Right, right. Yeah, because the games played, and I wouldn't be surprised if KD misses more games down the stretch because, like, they're going to want to rest him more than they're going to want to rest Harden. Like, Harden doesn't miss games. So, yeah, I think he actually has right. the better case. Um, but, so obviously, you said it's conditional. Only one of them is really going to be in consideration um, if right. either of them at all. Right. So, Say it is one of them. Who who's who's like next in line for you? Is Curry in the conversation? So Curry is actually probably yeah the next person that I would want to mention because I just don't feel like there's any way there's any path for the Warriors to be that successful, especially in the Western Conference. Um, despite as, how great he's playing, how fun he's been to watch, um, um, he looks like Steph Curry. You know what I mean? Like he looks like Steph that we remember that. We have a, a somewhat similar ballot. Um, I have LeBron and Bede and Dame on mine. That's probably my top three. I don't really have them ranked, but that's probably my top three. But then to round out my my five, I would have probably Curry fourth and then Jokic fifth. And reason why, like Curry, I, I know, like you said, like the pace is different. So like the numbers being the same as the 2015-16 season doesn't really mean he's having that season, but 
I think he's been more important to the Warriors this season than he was during that season, in all honesty. Like, if you just think about what it would mean to take him off of that team, yeah. like, like th- this, this team without Curry still would be a great defense. Like, Draymond gets a lot of credit for that, but... Th- yeah. This team offensively without Curry is, I mean to say to say it's not even the same team is just an understatement. Like, yeah. So I think that yeah. combined with how much they've exceeded expectations to this point, and the the reason why I don't have them top three is because I do think it matters that they're I believe this the seven seed right now maybe the six seed. Oh, I do think it matters. Like I do think you should be a, at least a top four seed in your conference to actually like to actually have a shot at MVP. So he's he's they're the seventh seed right now at eighteen and fifteen. Right, and pro- how far? How many games out are they of the four seed? Out of four seed, the Suns are the four seed. They're twenty and eleven. So that's what. So they're five and a half games back from first place. The Warriors are eight and a half games back. But yeah, so yeah, like yeah, so yeah, three games out of the four seed. If they, you know, make one run, they could they could easily pull that off. And at that point, I think Curry's in the conversation because when you think about just most valuable. I think he's done enough to be in that conversation. So he he's just lacking As the an individual player, yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's just lacking the team success to have the case for top three to to be on the ballot. Yeah. Um, and then with Jokic, similar story. I mean, uh, I think the Nuggets just aren't good enough right now in terms of wins and losses. But what he means to that team is, you know, most valuable player. Like mean, he he fits that term. So yeah, and then. Nuggets, I mean, you talk about team success. The Nuggets right now, they're the eight seed. They're 17 and 15. So they're around the same spot that the Warriors are at, but I feel like they have a little more potential to make a run. All this, all the Warriors' place in the standings goes to show is, like, they should have been, I mean, like, you take Steph Curry off the team or you put a lesser guard in his position, they're probably just about as bad as they were last year. All this does is just goes to show how amazing Steph Curry is, but I don't really think that they're, he, that they're going to, put it together enough as a team for him to be able to really finish top three in MVP voting. Yeah. And I think that's part of it too, is like the Warriors were expected to be, you know, fighting for the play in tournament. So their expectations were a lot lower than the Nuggets. Like the Nuggets were expected to be at least a top three seed and, you know, making a run at the finals this year. So I think that, that hurts Jokic's case in where it's helping out Curry right now where they're out in the standings. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, watch the Nuggets, when, you know, I mean, like, they can come back from the All-Star break and win 9 out of 12 games, 9 out of 10 games. You know what I mean? And, like, they can jump up in the standings. Yeah, absolutely. So, any te- Yeah, any team is a four-game winning streak away from yeah, having a whole new complexion so, on their season. Yeah, so it, it's it's really hard to say. Yeah, I, I guess Jokic is kind of an oversight for me. Honestly, I, I didn't really consider him... I didn't really consider him when I was making my list. I probably should have considered him a little more. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely still early. Like, we're still, what is it, 10, 12 days away from the All-Star break? We're recording this Thursday uh, night, yeah. so, yeah, that's it's 12 days. The, the All-Star game itself is March 7th, so, yeah, just we're still two weeks away from the All-Star break and it's still technically less than halfway through the season, so it's still really early. A lot's going to happen between now and when it comes time to vote for MVP, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. But speaking of uh, All-Star Weekend, we, we do have an All-Star game this year. I just want to say I don't really understand why we're having an All-Star game. Uh, when the season started, for me, I don't know how you feel, but it was a like a 
foregone conclusion to me that we were not going to do an all-star game. Well known that the all-star weekend had been canceled. Adam Silver came out and said, you know, we're not going to be able to have fans and the whole point of all-star weekend is for the fan experience. So we're going to cancel well, it this yeah. year. And, and now here we are. Yeah. But I, I didn't, I didn't think, you know, cause sometimes you hear, you hear things, people say things, you know, especially like leagues like the NBA or the NFL, they say things and you don't necessarily believe it. I actually believe that. I right. Like, yeah. I don't really see why they would be doing an all-star game. But mm-hmm. I really, to my, my surprise, um, we are we are having an all-star game. Yeah, I remember we, I remember uh Woj tweeting out about how it was in consideration. Um I remember reading it just thinking like what? Like we're going to have an all-star game yeah. and then it, all these other details started coming out about how they were, they wanted to do it in Atlanta, which I don't know if you know, but Atlanta has not exactly been the most strict with social distancing rules and things like that. Yeah. Um I'm still gonna I'm still gonna watch the All Star game. It's gonna be a hot mess. They're gonna have you know they're having the the dunk contest at halftime. The skills competition is before the game. That's the pregame show. That's your appetizer. And then LeBron, Team LeBron, and and Team KD are gonna roll out. They're gonna play a half of basketball, and then we're gonna take what ninety minutes to do the dunk contest. And then oh by the way, <laughs> Team LeBron and Team KD roll back out here for the second half. The 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 rosters have already been announced, but I'm curious to to know who was on your ballot because we all know, of course, you have a vote in this. Uh, you're part of the media, so right. Yeah. So I was curious to know who who you voted for um, for the All Stars this year, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind um, sharing your ballot. So yeah, I I don't mind sharing my ballot. I know it's an important ballot. Everybody. So starting with the West, uh, starting lineups. Uh, my two guards. I had Dane. I had Curry. I feel like those are the two guards out in the West that have performed the best. Luca is definitely one of my reserves. I'll get to that in a minute. I had Damon Curry uh, as my two guards because I felt like those two guys, uh, those two guards were the most uh, impactful individual performances out in the West. Uh, no disrespect to Luca or some of the other notable guards out in the West, but at the two forward spots, I have LeBron and Kawhi. LeBron's a captain, but Kawhi also, I feel like it's a pretty obvious pick. Uh, I don't feel like I really have to justify that one. Um, Jokic, I did not overlook him in the all-star ballot. It's a kind of a shoe in I, I don't really know who would be competing with Jokic for that. Last yeah, I feel, like, I, mean, I feel like the West starting lineup, like we can argue Dame Luka, but I feel like the West starting lineup outside of that is really no debate. And yeah. with Luka making yeah. it over Dame, like – I had Dame as a starter over um, over Luca, but when you think about which it, makes sense, but when you think about like it, ultimately it came down to the fan vote. They were tied after the media and player vote, so ultimately Luca just has a, a bigger fan base. But when you think about from like the NBA's perspective, like Luca is outside of Giannis, like he is their guy. You know what I mean, and. With him being an all-star starter last year, it's not the look they're going for exactly uh, for him to to take a step back, essentially, and, and not be an all-star starter the next year. So um, I, I think without a doubt he was going to get the, the starting nod um, just off of that, even though I think Damon Curry are at least higher up in the MVP conversation than, than Luka is. So, yeah, I agree with you. It should have been Curry and Dame, but 
I'm not surprised at all that Luca ended up getting the starting spot. I see what you're saying. I don't. I didn't really look at it that way. I don't know necessarily that Luca not being a starter the next season is a step back. Just just so, from the way it looks, from like this guy is, you know, the golden child, and he goes from being in the MVP conversation, you know, being the All Star starter to now being an All Star reserve. It's just from like a from a marketing perspective, like it, it just doesn't look as good if he were to not be an All Star starter again. Yeah, I suppose if if you're the NBA, you want Luca to be one of those guys. That's for sure. But moving on to to my reserves, um, I had Luca, CP3, Zion, Gobert, uh, Paul George, Devin Booker, and Demar Derozan. Made my list. I wrote down the guys who I felt like were snubs. I feel like the biggest snub was probably Donovan Mitchell. But the reason why I wanted to put Booker there instead of Donovan Mitchell was because. You watched the other night. Uh, I think at one point Donovan Mitchell was. I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but he was something like three for twelve from the field. This is against against the Clippers. About, against the Lakers. Oh, the Lakers game. And yeah, yeah, I guess the Lakers the other night, and they were up twenty. Uh, I think at like six points. You know what I mean? And that, not that that's necessarily a knock against him, but it's a team that's just really playing well. Um, Whereas Booker is like a guy, one of the guys. Not that Mitchell isn't, but I, I'll, I'll take Booker over Mitchell personally. That's, yeah, I I think it's tough to to not have Donovan Mitchell on your ballot when they're the clear cut best team in the league. And like, if you look, if you started like digging into like some advanced numbers, like Conley has really been their most valuable offensive player this season. Like Gobert, Gobert is their defense. Like he's the foundation of everything they do on that side of the ball. But I honestly think you could make the argument that Conley has been more important for them offensively than Donovan Mitchell. So I ultimately did have Mitchell making the team and not Conley, but um, I I do think there is a case to be made. Like I I don't think as crazy as it sounds because of how good the team is, like you said, he Donovan Mitchell has had games where he's not really scoring the ball efficiently. And yet the, the jazz are still chugging along because they're that great of a team. So I don't think yeah. it's it's that crazy to have Donovan Mitchell off, and your ballot is honestly similar to the actual ballot because you had Devin Booker and he ended up um, being the injury replacement for for Anthony Davis. So the only other yeah. change you had, you have Demar Derozan in over uh, over Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. I think Demar is interesting though because yeah. I think he he's a worthy candidate for being a snub. I don't I don't think like I, I think. Uh, not not that the Spurs are the Jazz, but I think the Spurs just have like a, a really good team and he's just been the best player on that team. And I don't think he's been good enough to to make me say like, yeah, I should take one of these guys off. Well, I mean, you look at the Spurs. I, so like like we were talking about with Mitchell and Conley before, um, as good as Mitchell is, and he probably is their most talented player. He's their leading scorer, but you look at their – offense and their best offensive player might be Mike Conley. Um, you look at the Spurs, their best offensive player is definitely DeMar DeRozan. Uh, he's scoring just a little bit under 20 points a game. The Spurs offensive efficiency and their offensive rating and their scoring is, is all better with him on the court. Yeah, for once, his on-off numbers actually look good. Historically, he's always been like a negative one net rating, no matter how good his team was. Yeah. But yeah, he's yeah. actually like contributing to winning in the advanced metrics as well. Right. 
Right, right. So I, I, I chose to give him the nod because um, I feel like I just like I don't want to freak out about the Jazz yet. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I feel like we could look at them and they're like the four seed at the end at the end of the year, the five seed. Like, yeah, I could see that just as well as them. Like, just as well as I could see them finishing the one seed and the two seed. So DeMar DeRozan, I feel like. You know, he he deserves the nod. He's really, like, one of the guys that, you know, is not necessarily carrying a team, but is doing a lot to contribute to winning for a team that really wouldn't have much without him. And there's really no – there's no award for that. <laughs> you know, there's no um, yeah. most most valuable player for a team that wasn't that good. <laughs> right. I, I, you know, uh, like we sarcastically joked about before, it's not a very important ballot. So I I gave Demar the nod. I, I like Demar. Yeah, that's and fair. Um, it's 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 justifiable. It's yeah, that, justifiable. Demar Derozan is having an All Star caliber season, which is a term yeah. I think we throw around a little bit too much, considering All All Star caliber player essentially means top twenty four. Um, yeah. Which opens up another conversation about how the roster should be expanded, but. I think that's a different conversation for a different day. But yeah, I mean, DeMar DeRozan is definitely worthy of being in the conversation, so I can't fault you for having him in there. But uh, what, what does your East ballot look like? So in the East, Beal at the guard, Jalen at the guard spot, Katie, Giannis, and Bede. Jalen, I, I feel like so quickly we forget, maybe because of the Celtics struggle. Um, Jalen Brown, for the first like month and a half, two months of the season, was like unbelievable. Like he wasn't just good; he was like unbelievable. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if we forgot about that. Yeah, it was too I early. It was like too early to actually talk about it, but he was playing like at an MVP level. Like he was one of the best players okay. in the league for that stretch. Right. If if you take that stretch, right, and then the time after it, if you just flip the order that they happened in, I feel like he's starting easily. Yeah, like if he had that momentum. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, if he had the same exact season, but that crazy stretch he had in the beginning was headed into the All Star break, he easily starts. I, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I don't understand why people so quickly just forget that Jalen really did what he did at the beginning of the year, and his efficiency was crazy, and he's still been scoring the ball like crazy. That team, him and Tatum, are that team, and the only reason Tatum is in the starter is because you know you have KD. And you have Giannis, and you have Embiid, but yeah, I, I definitely think Jalen deserves to start. Getting into the Eastern reserves that I had, I had Kyrie. Obviously, Kyrie and Harden, the top two guys, uh, top two reserves that really having starting caliber seasons. But you got to pick and choose. Um, Tatum, Levine. I had Randall and Bam instead of Randall and Vucevic, and then I had Simmons. Um, obviously, Middleton's a big snub this year for a lot of people. Um, I, I mean, you know this. We've been talking sports for however long. I'm not huge on Middleton. I don't not like him. A lot of his effectiveness, I feel like, is pretty uh, dependent on the fact that he does play with Giannis. He is not a bad. I'm not trying to take away from him as an individual player. He's one of the best pick and roll scorers in the league. I just him, him and Vucevic. I don't know if they're as valuable individual players or have had as impressive individual campaigns as like Bam Adebayo or Julius Randle. So I had to choose those two guys. That was kind of the uh, 
the cut the choice that it was forced to make at the end there yeah i think i think chris middleton's game like when you watch him of any like all-star caliber player like his game just pops the least like he's just an efficient score like you don't see him with the ball in a sense a lot he's an efficient scorer you know he's he's quiet in the pick and roll he's right. not like he doesn't stand out as an athlete yeah. um but he, you he's just, just looking at him and you almost just look at him it's like he kind of just he kind of just gets the ball to go in other than that he kind of just looks like a guy yeah <laughs> yeah he, he just doesn't really pop but you know the numbers don't lie so your reserves are Kyrie, harden uh levine tatum randall and then you have bam and simmons yeah okay so the only the only thing where uh we differentiated on our ballots was i had uh, i had sabonis in there instead of simmons okay uh but other than that okay other than that we have essentially the same ballot like our starters are the same uh, i didn't have Kyrie and harden because when you look at just the raw numbers like they're starter worthy numbers but you have to factor in that Harden was terrible for eight games for the Rockets and Kyrie Kyrie literally took a two-week vacation didn't say a word to the team and then just came back like not only is that missed games but I think the fact that he literally just disappeared for two weeks like that matters like you you can't be a starter if if you do stuff like that like it's just yeah that's something that I think only argument yeah I think if you're gonna do that like you you got to come off the bench like it's just how it goes so I agree yeah we have the same reserves besides uh just simmons for sabonis i just think i think ultimately like it was tough it was between sabonis simmons middleton vooch uh those are all guys i considered for the last spot and i think it ultimately kind of just came down to me not having any other pacers uh, on my ballot because the fact that they're they're still right in the middle of the eastern conference i think they're the four seed right now the five seed um, with no TJ Warren, uh, and then essentially trading Victor Oladipo for what's been nothing so far because Karis Lover hasn't played for them. Like yeah. I think, yeah. I think with how good they've been and how important Sabonis is to their team, um, I felt like I just had to give him the nod. Uh, but Simmons is worthy. Chris Middleton, I think, would be worthy. Um, I'm not mad that Vooch got in. Um, although I, I, yeah, do, I do not, definitely think that, not. like, if Vooch was going to get in, I definitely think Sabonis should have been ahead of him or Bam. Yeah, that's the thing is like I feel I, I feel like Bam should have been ahead of Vucevic. Uh because you can make the same argument about Bam, but I feel like he's having a better season. Um he's a little more versatile player versatile of a player defensively as well. I will say um, though, um I saw I saw yeah, someone I made a, like a a graphic of it. The number of games missed uh by players on the Magic so far outnumber any other team by a margin that is just laughable like it's ridiculous it's almost as much yeah. as the next two teams combined it's ridiculous so i get why he made it like he's carrying their offense and even though they're not that good yeah. like he's keeping them competitive so i get it but i do think ultimately you know bam is having a better season i think sabonis is, is having a better season on better teams yeah yeah i was gonna i was gonna say ultimately pretty much the same thing just bushes his individual performance is, is pretty impressive. Uh, what he's been able to do for the Magic, but Bam, I feel like he's playing some more meaningful minutes. Yeah. You know, and that means that means more to me personally. That's the way I do my ballot. Yeah, and I I can't argue with that. So yeah, we ultimately we, we 
kind of see eye to eye in the all-star game really um from the the game itself to who's playing in it so you know there, there's so many talented players in the league right now it's so tough to to whittle it down to 12 per conference it's true i would like a nice 14 man roster yeah it should mirror it should mirror nba rosters that would only make sense to me yeah you have 14 active players on any given well i may sometimes you have eight but seven if you're the sixers but we're we're snubbing guys at this point who legitimately deserve to make it so yeah so all right so let's move on now to uh what what i'm dubbing the panic meter we're going to talk about a few different teams here and basically we're we're just going to gauge you know how worried we are about the teams essentially um you wanted to use stake to to compare how we how we're feeling about these teams so <laughs> if you want to just quickly explain the uh the stake panic meter we'll call it rare would be like you're good you're you're rocking with the ration that you got um you're probably anticipating like a, a playoff or a championship run Medium rare would be more like, you know, maybe there's some causes for concerns, some injuries that you're worried about getting guys back. Maybe you need a couple of guys to play a little more consistently. Medium would be like, you might want to toy with some of the outside parts of your roster. Maybe it's like, you know, the seven man in your rotation. Maybe you could throw a pick in or something like that and, and, and improve that spot. But more or less, you're good with your core. You just, you need to make some improvements if you're going to contend for a shit this season. Uh, medium rare or I'm sorry medium like well would be more uh kind of make a change you definitely have to either make a massive change in your team game plan and strategy the way that you play somebody has played significantly better you need uh one of your best players to come back from injury or you need to shake up the roster you need to move a piece for another piece or get some assets uh well done is your cook literally uh for this season, you should probably punt <laughs> and uh, and try to improve for the future. Yeah, so basically, it just comes down to the more the more uh, cooked the stake is, the more panicked we are about the team. Right, right, but that would be like how you class th- those are the classes, right? Like, you know what I mean? That's that's really what it means to be. You know, if I say medium rare to you about the Heat, that's what the hell that means. Right. So let's start off. Let's start off with the Celtics. Because the Celtics, uh, Celtics fan base right now, I think they would tell you that uh, the stake's probably well done, uh, because that's just how I mean, Celtics fans button, are. The panic button has has been hit. Oh yeah, the, the panic button was hit after the Wizards game, uh, because that's just how Celtics yeah. fans are. But I like to think that yeah. myself and most Celtics fans that I know are a little bit more on the rational side. So, how are you feeling about the Celtics so far? Like, where are you at with them? Um, in terms of the panic meter, we're looking at a at a medium well. It, it's it's not looking good, man. Two games below 500 when you started eight and three, 15 and 17, ninth seed in the East. Um, I I would like to see a game where we play well and the Jays don't have to combine for 55 points on 40 to 45 shot attempts. That yeah, I nice. think I think the only game we saw that was against the Raptors where Semi Ojale just turned Semi-Ogele. into yeah a shooter and and Pritchard hit a bunch of threes as well. Um, Right. Yeah, it's not looking good. It, it's um, it's a lot of a lot of uh, yeah. Jason and Jalen ISOs. Um, it's a lot of what the hell's right. going on on offense. And they've been fantastic, the two of them. But I mean, we need Marcus Smart back. He's he really is the heart and soul of the team. 
I feel like the stretch goes to show that if this core is going to win a championship in the next two to three years, Marcus Smart's part of it. Yeah, I think people um, people overlook the fact that, like, yeah, heart and soul of the team means literally without him. I mean, heart heart and soul of the team means that, like, without him, the, the team is not the same. And they don't have that, that attitude. And you see it with the Celtics. They don't have the same, I mean, like, especially on the defensive end, like, they're not putting pressure on the ball. You don't really feel like they're they're getting stops. It's kind of like you hope they get stops. Sometimes they do. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, defensively, they're not getting stops. Uh, other teams are just missing shots, and we're getting the rebound. Um, yeah. And then yeah, o- offensively, as much as it doesn't feel right to say this, um, Marcus Moore is probably our more, most important playmaker. Like, in terms of just like yeah. without Gordon Hayward, especially like he he's really like our best ball mover at this point, which sounds crazy to say Marcus Smart and, and you know, ball movement. But, like, at this point, he's yeah. honestly someone yeah. we need to rely on. because he's the answer to the third scorer question? Yeah, the, yeah, there's some of that that I'm worried about when he comes back too. But, like, yeah. we really need his playmaking. And and his defensive impact. Which, um, both. Yeah. In tandem with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why, like, I'm more... I'm more medium rare. Like I really think there's really only one glaring issue on the team, and it's that just Kemba is not hitting his shots right now. Um, because if Smart comes back and he makes the impact that we we think he is, um, that, that that changes the whole complexion of the team. Yeah. To where I think really the only issue becomes can Kemba return to his old form? Um, because at that point, that that gives you four four really really reliable offensive options. They can all create off the dribble. They can all catch and shoot. That play well together. Right, right. It, and that's how I felt at the early part of that Raptors Raptors series. I felt like it was so many offensive options. I felt so calm watching them play offensive basketball, and then on defense they were solid too. Yeah, so I, I'm but pretty. Here it's like I, if right. I watch Daniel Tice try to defend modern fours out on the perimeter again, I think I'm. Gonna oh man, yeah. The the double big lineup. Um, I get it because. You know, when you have three, three centers who are all deserving of roughly the same minutes, you want to try to get those guys as many minutes as you can. And so I get yeah. why they're playing Tice at the four, and he's doing his best. Like I, I was, I was really low on Tice at the beginning of the season, but yeah, I got to give him credit for the fact that he's adapting to being a power forward when he's clearly not. But it's just not. Yeah. It's not working. It's not. It's, it's not helping them win. It's really not. Got to talk about. Uh, be- definitely before we move on from the Celtics, uh, Ainge and Stevens. Starting with Ainge, I feel like his reputation maybe doesn't match his resume, especially in the past couple of years. Yeah, I think it depends on who you ask because people who don't like the Celtics will tell you how bad Danny Ainge is no matter what. But yeah, among like most people, I think, yeah, he has a reputation of being one of the best GMs in the league when if you look at his his track record over the last five six years of building this roster out like he's made some big swings he's made some big swings like on paper the Kyrie trade was a huge win um being able to lose Kyrie and still get back an all-star point guard I think I think that's a big move but like his moves between the margins like his draft picks outside of the top five um some of the trades he's made in the off seasons um some of the players he's passed up on in the draft that he really could have used yeah i i could talk he about traded the rights to yeah i could talk about uh players that danny ainge has traded on draft night for an entire podcast episode i think well i agree uh danny ainge 
uh, not that he's going anywhere. Like there's no shot that he's not the GM for the next however many years. But in my mind, he's a little bit like his seat's getting a little bit warm. I'm not going to say he's on the hot seat, but depending on what he does with yeah. this trade player exception, whether it be at the deadline or in the off season, um, if that, yeah. if that move doesn't go well, then yeah, the Celtics are, they're screwed in terms of a title window. It's over. At least in this, yeah. this like oh, yeah. until Kemba's gone. If the move that they make with the traded player exception, whether it be at the deadline or in the off season, if it's not a player that you know makes the same impact that Hayward had, like that sort of player, if they can't get someone like that out of it, then I think officially the clock is starting to tick on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in terms of these are two superstars who are not in the perfect situation, and that means twenty nine yeah. other teams are going to start calling. So I think. This is a huge yep. offseason for Danny Ainge and it's going to set the course of the of the franchise for the next 10 years because if they can't convince both those guys to re-sign after the like this deal runs out then I mean obviously it's it's a whole another team. So um yeah, yeah, and at that point I think that would be the straw that does break the canvas back if he'd be out at that point. Yeah, at that point yeah, you you'd almost definitely see Stevens gone and at that oh my point God, he better be he better be, or, or, or my kids will be Nets fans or some shit. <laughs> anyway, all right, we got to move on because we can talk about the Celtics yeah, for, forever. Yeah, so, we can talk about Celtics all day. I was thinking the same thing. So next up, I want to talk about uh, the Mavericks. Um, they're they're not off to quite the start they were hoping for. Um, better as of late. Currently standing uh, at 15 and 16 as the 10 seed. So where are you at with the Mavericks? So I said like medium, medium well. You know, uh, definitely in terms of tinkering with the roster, uh, there's a lot of talk about do you trade Chris Paps or not. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people would want to pull the trigger right now. It doesn't really look like you want to hold on to him. It hasn't, since he's gotten there, it hasn't worked out like they expected at all. I mean, like you said, they're the 10 seed right now, 15 and 16, and a half games back out of first place. This is a team you're expecting to you know, to contend. I mean, you, you look at it, the teams ahead of them, the, the Grizzlies, the, the Warriors, the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, this is a know. team This is a team that I put money on to uh, to win the West uh, because I like the odds, and uh, it's not looking hot right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, Kristaps hasn't been the same on either side of the ball. The, the rim protection hasn't been anywhere close to what it is. The no. explosiveness really isn't there. At all. I don't know what his shooting splits are like right now, but I can't imagine he's had an efficient season because he hasn't even looked the same. All that being said, all that being said, you really can't trade him right now. On paper, the fit with, I mean, like who you feel like Kristaps can be, the fit with him and Luca is still solid. I still like it. You know, you need him to start affecting both sides of the ball a little more, really protecting the rim. Uh, they're kind of playing more him more of a stretch five role, whereas he was kind of more of a power forward in, in New York, which I, I like that for him. But, you know, I feel like you hold on to him. He's making, I want to say, $29 million right now. And then they have him on contract for another two years after that. I think he's making $36 million that last season. And starting next year, you have Tim Hardaway Jr. and James Johnson off the books. That's 18 and $16 million respectively. Luke is still on uh, contract for $10 mil, which is, I mean, a, yeah. a bargain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you got Josh Richardson. I think he has an $11 million player option. He may or may not accept it. But you're going to have some flexibility next year. Kristaps, you know, maybe give him, maybe he's just not healthy. Maybe give him some time. 
you know, maybe he's not in shape. Maybe he's not conditioned. Maybe he needs to reevaluate his game. Maybe he needs to develop his skill set a little bit. But I think you need to wait. Um, they're both young players. You know what I mean? Neither one of them, Kristaps is what, 25, 26 years old? Yeah, I think he's 25 old now. I want to say he's 25 now. But, but like you said, I agree. Um, I, I like the fit with, with uh, Luka and healthy KP. Like, I like that two-man game. And like you were talking about earlier, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for them to to want to trade him right now. Uh, you you were you brought this up earlier. Um, like his trade value right now is like it's not high. Like they're not going to be able to trade Porzingis right now and get back value. Like it, I mean, with with the way he's playing now and the amount of years and money left on his deal, I don't see how his trade value could ever dip lower. Even if he plays worse going forward, at least he's going to have less years on steel. Yeah, like he would, he would probably have to uh, have another significant injury for his trade value to be lower than it is right now. Yeah, I, I don't even, I don't think um, there's much sense in trading him like this season. Uh, down the line, I think yeah. it's it's something you look at, especially if he continues to have yeah. the, these injuries. But I say around this time next year, maybe. But yeah, right I think that that's when you would start you, you to gotta, pick up the phone. Yeah. Yeah, right now you got to ride it out because there's no winning a Kristaps trade right now. His trade value is so low. He either plays better or you eat up a year of his deal and you trade him then. Yeah, I agree. And when it comes to the Mavs in general, I'm probably a medium as well because, like, I know I put money on them to win the West, but I, they weren't my pick to, to make it out of the West. So I don't think, like, I don't think the expectation was finals or bust for Dallas this season. So. Um, no, definitely not. Definitely I, not. But at the same time, they were supposed to be a top three or four team. In the right. They definitely have yeah. have underperformed to this point. But I think, yeah. really, I, I think um, the only concerns here are that the surrounding pieces around Luca are maybe not as good as they had hoped for. Because, like we've said, Kristaps is not really the same, at least to this point. Josh Richardson, yeah. um, I thought a change of scenery for him was going to be uh, huge for him. It hasn't. He he doesn't look good. He's, I mean, he's just kind of a, a guy in the league, I feel like, at this point. Yeah, when he not, was in not, Miami. Not to, not to diminish his, his skill set, but he's not right. Like, I feel like you're about to say, he's not who we thought he was going to be. Yeah, yeah. when he was in Miami, he was a great 3 and D guy. Like, I thought he had a whole lot of potential. Then he goes to Philly. And he didn't have a good season, mostly because of the fit. Like, just the pieces, obviously, on that Philly team last season were just, it was a mess. So I thought that was it. But now in Dallas, like, he, he can't really do anything off the dribble. Like, his shot is, it's been streaky for the last two seasons now. And if you ask him to, yeah. to put the ball on the floor twice, like, he can't really do much with it. So, and his defense, I feel like he's still a good defender, but... He doesn't really stand out as like someone that's that's really, you know, mo- moving the Mavericks up the rankings in, in defensive rating. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. So I, yeah. I just think that that move hasn't really worked out for them. I think they're actually really missing Seth Curry as another ball handler and a shooter. Yeah, and their rookies have been they haven't played much, but they haven't really popped. Like a lot of people were really high on Tyrell Terry, and he hasn't really played much. He he's shown some flashes in the little bit that he's played, but him and Josh Green have not really contributed too much for them yeah. this season. So both, just, those guys, both those guys might be a year away from being real contributors. Yeah, so like they're just not getting a whole lot outside of Luka uh, relative to what they thought they were. So other than that, like I, I think they're still on a similar trajectory. Uh, they just might need to make 
uh, a few adjustments that they maybe weren't anticipating. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That's a good way of putting it. So we'll, we'll go with the Bucks next. Um, what are your thoughts on the Bucks? I mean, you look at the Bucks and their, their roster and their current situation, Drew Holiday's an obvious improvement in, in fit and ability versus Bledsoe. Yeah, yeah. What um, they gave up is in question, but whether or not it was the right move to go after Drew Holiday, that was a no-brainer. Yeah, but I just really feel like, you know, you just extended Giannis. You have Giannis through 2026. You make $50 million a year. Yeah. Almost, but <laughs> but you have him until 2026. He's 26 years old right now, so he'll be... 31? You know, charging right into his 30s. Yeah. You know, you got Middleton on the books... When Middleton is 30, 31, 32 years old, you're paying him $40 million. So, you know, with the Bucks, I had them at medium. Maybe they're more of a medium well, just because you're looking at maybe really shaking up the roster. Chris Middleton's having a good year statistically. Obviously, he didn't get the All-Star nod like we talked about earlier, but you might want to sell <laughs> – um, with, with Chris Middleton because, you know, he's, he's going to be expensive. And him and Giannis are, are going to combine for at one point eighty five over $85 million on, on your books. Just just those two guys. You know, they're still pay, playing, well, they're still paying Brooke Lopez almost $13 million a year now. It's going to be $13 million for the next two years after this year. I, I They definitely are, are, are going to have to make some changes. I actually like Drew Holiday and Giannis together. I... I Feel like they could hold on to Drew Holiday too when his deal's up. He's got, you know, this year he's making 26, next year 27. And then, you know, you might be able to extend him onto a more team friendly deal as long as he's still looking like himself at age 32. I don't really see what, what their window is. I don't really understand what their plan is. This doesn't really seem like a team that, I mean, they're contenders. They, they've finished, you know, high seeding and been in, been in playoffs series but uh we've seen it from them in the playoffs i'm not the first person to observe that uh, they have to make some some considerable changes to what they do um it might be a, a coaching staff like you, when we were talking earlier you mentioned uh it might be like a coaching change um but they're gonna they're gonna definitely have to figure something out that this team doesn't look like this if they're gonna be a, a championship team something significant is gonna have to change with this roster and and with the way that that this team plays right so i think i think we're uh we're cooking the same cut of steak here but uh i think you left it on the grill a little bit longer than i did because okay, um, fair yeah I, I think uh Giannis and chris milton combining for 75 percent of your salary cap could definitely be an issue down the line um but i'm not quite there yet where i'm ready to make all kinds of changes because uh, they have committed especially on the defensive end to changing up what they do and experimenting and trying different things and trying to get creative. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about what the regular season results are. I no, just, I just want to see if they're going to make an impact in the, in the playoffs. So they're going to have to make a significant change. We've talked about this off the pod before about how we think Yana should be used. So yeah, yeah I see I what you're getting at. Good. Like I, I do think there are some philosophical changes that that team can make uh, to sort of evolve and hit a new level. But I, I st- I'm still willing to give them, this this postseason run to see what they can do but then at yeah. that point like if they don't at least make the finals this year then yeah i think it's definitely time to yeah. to probably fire bud 
to bring in a coach that is going to use Giannis um, more as a big man than as a ball handler. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite as worried about them uh, as you are because I, I still think there's time for them to figure it out this season. That That's all I'm giving them. If they can't figure it out this season, then I'm right there with you. So just how burnt is your T-Wolf steak? Have you already thrown in it out? Of, in, terms of, in terms of this season, I mean, I, I work at a restaurant. If, if I were to serve a Timberwolves steak um, to somebody who asked for it well done, it would still get sent back. <laughs> it's all it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a cook. It's a cook steak. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think the Timberwolves, if you're the Timberwolves, you, you obviously have the coaching change. You just set your sights on the future. You you want to get D'Lo, Edwards, and Cat on the floor together. Don't worry about how many games you win. They just got to find the right guys to fit their core. Uh, they need to take a couple years to do that. Cat is still young. You know, it, it's the panic meter in terms of this season alone it is well done. You, you toss the season away. They're just trying to build for the future. They, they need to build a culture, a winning culture. Uh, they need to figure out uh, like a team identity. I think is, is is their goal for the rest of the year. Right. So just establish establish a serious identity. If we're gonna look like a winning team, this is like like the Suns at the end of last year, right? They didn't make the playoffs, but they were like, if we're gonna be a winning team, this is what the hell it's gonna look like. Right. Okay. I have two questions for you. One. What's up? What do you think that identity is like? What do you think Chris Finch's goal should be for the season? Like, what should be that identity that he tries to establish? You look what they have right now. You you have Edwards, you have D'Lo, you have Towns. Those are three three serious guys, like three guys who I who I seriously think are really talented. D'Lo's gonna be expensive for the next two to three years, but uh, you know we'll we'll see what we really have with with him, Towns, and Edwards together. Gloss over Malik easily. He's also a very interesting part of this too. I think they should hang on to him. I think he's a part of them being a winning team in the future. Um, Ricky Rubio, I feel like you, you you want to move him for somebody like a wing that uh, you know you can have for a few years who's going to be a versatile defender. Um, I think you actually made a post the other day about how Jan- Jared Vanderbilt has basically been their best defender. Yeah, and yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't even really necessarily know that um, if you didn't watch a lot of Timberwolves. So um, I think that's you know they need multiple guys like that you know guys that can can kind of swing from like two to three to four in terms of position on the floor and and defend multiple guys and hit open shots you know they just they need they need a lot more of that a lot a lot more like uh clue guys i would say yeah i think i I, I like towns i like russell i like edwards and maybe it can work all three of them together but yeah they're definitely going to need to add some some role players who seriously contribute to winning who seriously you know make an impact on the game while they're out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you were talking about those uh, those type of wing players, that uh, the multi-positional defenders and things like that. Uh, and I'm assuming you haven't watched much of the Timberwolves this season. I wouldn't blame you. Uh, yeah. But Jaden McDaniels, they're, uh, one of their first-round picks that they made this year, he's been he's been pretty exciting. He um, he's, he's 6'10". He can put the ball on the floor. He he blocks shots at, I believe his block rate is higher than any, any other non-center in the entire league. Um, wow. Like he can he can really uh like get off his feet quickly and he has great timing on blocks like he's he he has some pretty exciting flashes, um okay. s- similar to that Jared like Vanderbilt that. mold. I like, um, I like that next to next to Crying Anthony Towns. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like um. So I I do think this team has a lot of 
good like they're kind of in a situation to where I think the Bulls were at a year or two ago where there's a bunch of players on the roster that you like, but you're just not sure how any of it fits together. So yeah, I think I think Chris Finch has to come in and for one, he's gonna need continuity out of the roster and just who's gonna play. But I think he has to establish I don't wanna say a pecking order, but just establish an offensive system where guys have defined roles that they can they can contribute to rather than like letting Anthony Edwards roam free and take whatever shots he wants and yeah. having Malik Beasley just be a shot shocker. You know what I mean? Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I Trading agree. Rubio for a wing player makes sense. He hasn't, that, that signing has not worked out. Um, but at the same time, no. I don't know, you know, I don't know where he's going then if he's getting traded. So that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, a, a team could need a point guard and a pinch. So, you know, let's yeah. see what happens. That's true. Um, but my second question, as a Timberwolves fan, should they be looking to keep their pick, you know, like hope they end up in the top three, uh, keep their pick and add another piece to the core? Or do you think they're better off conveying that pick to the Warriors this year, say it's fourth or fifth, whatever it is, and then have it, like being able to keep this core together, not add anything to it and just let them grow and then next season they would have their own pick again. Which which path do you think uh, makes more sense? Not that you know they can really decide. But... So if if I'm a Timberwolves fan, um, I think I would honestly rather have my pick next year as a Timberwolves fan. Have it unprotected. You know what I mean. Um, you've you've had a year now, a full year of. of hopefully, of D'Lo, Cat, Beasley, Edwards, seeing what that really looks like. You know, that's a legitimate core. You know, I don't feel like you need to add scorers, definitely, to that line. Right, yeah. You, know, you, you, you kind of just need to find a way to get solid rotations that can rebound the ball and play defense and, you know, be efficient. I, I feel like I'd rather hold on to my pick uh, for that 2022 draft, you know, where, where wherever it does land, because – if things really don't work out over the next year or so, then it'll be a high pick again. I don't really feel like you need to, like you were saying earlier when we were talking about, like they don't need Kate Cunningham. Right. It, yeah. You know, like yeah. like, like they, 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 there are teams in the league that need a Kate Cunningham to come save them, and the Timberwolves are not that team. They don't need a, a Kate Cunningham. You know what I mean? They, they don't need that type of like generational talent guy. They need solid guys that are going to play – 20 minutes a game, 22 minutes a game, maybe like right out of college. Yeah, I think they need they need players that that are more like plug and play and can make the the rest of the roster just sort of make more sense. Yeah. Rather absolutely. than changing what the roster is because I do think I mean we've only seen them play 5 games together, something like 90 minutes total on the floor. Um but I do think a two-man game of D'Lo and Cat can be really good. Um Anthony Edwards yeah, has been good. he's been much better than I thought he was going to be. Uh, Malik Beasley is a great scorer. Like they have guys that I think can can combine to make a pretty solid team. They just need yeah, no, I agree. The other players that that complement them. Yeah, yeah, no. So as as far as what what this team uh, looks like as a winning basketball team, it's kind of these guys with the right role players around them, though. Like you know. Yeah, like I do think there's a framework for them to be good down the line. Jarrett Culver. Jake Lehman, like these guys aren't helping, <laughs> but but yeah, that's that's more or less what they look like for a winning team. I feel like they have their core guys, maybe to add guys that 
are going to be solid for them for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, guys that they can can depend on yeah. to defend in critical spots and hit open shots when guys are getting double teams, etc. Yeah, if they need like Mikhail Bridges or something. But right. So now the last team that I want to talk about uh, with this panic meter, and it's also going to kind of transition into uh, some buy versus sell. We're going to talk about teams that. Uh, could be buyers or could be sellers at the deadline. So where are you at in terms of panic meter with the, well, I guess I should say the, the Tampa Bay Raptors. Tampa Raptors, uh, I would say they're, they're about a medium. It was a pretty bad start. Uh, they've been better as of late. I don't necessarily, this is another team. Like I was kind of saying with, uh, Milwaukee earlier, I don't necessarily know what their plan is or what they think their window is. They have um, some of their core guys signed for a uh, you know, long period. They have Pascal and, and Freddie Van Vliet signed, at least for the next you know three seasons after this one. So I, I, don't, I don't know what their plan is. I feel like I could check my phone any day and find out Pascal Siakam's on a new team. I also feel like they could hold on to him all the way through the deal. So I don't know what they plan to do about the Kyle Lowry situation. I don't know if they want to sign him long deal, long term. Maybe he's going to sign like a three or four year deal that's front loaded. I, I, I don't know what the plan is with, with them. As, as far as this year goes, hopefully they can go back home soon. You know, if, the, if they can stay in the playoff contention or even in just like play in tournament contention, um, you know, and they can get back home to Toronto, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about the Raptors. I personally, uh, if, if I'm in the GM spot for the Raptors, I think I'm, I'm actually selling. Just with my own personal philosophy, the way that I would go about it. Uh, I like some of the guys that they have. I, I think that, you know, you look at Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry. Uh, you got to sell on one or two of those four guys. At this point, you got to see what you can get. I mean, like Kyle Lowry, you would have to resign him to get anything for him. Maybe there's a team that is going to want a veteran point guard, and you could do a sign and trade. As far as this season, I think the roster stays intact. Norman Powell has an eleven million dollar uh, player option. That's getting uh, declined. He'll, he'll, he'll most likely uh, test his value. I think at the end of the season. Yeah. Um. So. It, it, it's a medium to medium well situation for the Raptors. They're playing a little better. You're optimistic that they're going to return home, and then that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, I think I think that's been like a very like just not talked about storyline is the fact that every single game for the Raptors is a road game. Like they they are yeah. not, and not only like not only are they playing in an arena that is not their own, but these guys aren't living in their houses even. You know what I mean? Like right, the, that's exactly the, what I was, I was going to say. Is like I talked about earlier how you know you can walk into Madison Square Garden and there's nobody in there. And it's a little different, you know, in terms of like shooting and just playing yeah. basketball as the away team. But these guys, these guys aren't sleeping in their own bed. This is completely different. Right. And so my, my, uh, my stake comparison for the Raptors, uh, the, the stake has been prepped, seasoned, and marinated and they don't know if they want to cook it or if they want to wait another day and let it let it marinate more um i have no idea if this team wants to trade kyle lowry and look towards the future i don't know if they they're looking for the next Kawhi leonard to make another championship run like i have no idea what direction messiah jury wants to go um 
even from a broader sense, he he hasn't re-signed with the team yet. So even from a much broader sense, I have no idea what Masai Ujiri wants to do with this team. Yeah, because I have no idea what direction they go. Because like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if I woke up tomorrow and Woj tweeted that Kyle Lowry's on the Clippers or something. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised no matter what move Masai makes. Uh, that's just the GM that he's proven to be. So yeah, I could see the team going any which way. I really don't know what way I think they should go because, you know, on paper it makes sense like to to look at them and say this isn't a championship core, so let's move off of veterans and look towards the future. But I think it, it's really valuable to be a consistently good team because like once you once you say, all right, we're gonna we're gonna tank or we're gonna you know put put our second eye towards the future and you start to focus on that too much it can become really hard to get out of that you know what i mean like it's not easy to be the spurs you know so i do think there's value in holding on to your good players and continuing to be a good team because they are starting to turn around they are now i think the six seed right now in the east so yeah yeah i would really really wouldn't be surprised no matter what they do um and i think there's rationale in going any number of directions so they're really interesting to me and i really don't like i'm not convinced uh that they should really do anything i really don't know yeah i i I agree i'm I'm not convinced that they should do anything either like i said my own personal philosophy i think i might sell um i'm like one of those top four guys that's on that team but probably norman norman powell uh, of, of all people i think honestly i feel like you can get a pretty interesting package for him. I, yeah, I think a, I think his uh maybe actually I'm not sure if he's a restricted free agent, but I think his free agency is going to be super interesting. He has that 11 million dollar player option, which I would assume he's going to decline. I think he can get more than that on the open market. Um I think so too. and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see who his suitors are and what the market's going to be like for him. Because I think he's yeah. he's like the quietest 16 points per game you've ever heard of. Like I don't I don't think anyone who yeah. Who doesn't like watch the Raptors and, and, and handle the ball in the pick and roll and hit open guys? Like, yeah, I think he's really underrated, and I can see a team coming in giving him a lot of money to a point where the Raptors might just have to let him walk. Yeah, like a you know that that could be like a Corey Joseph type of deal. Oh you man, know, I, hope I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. But you know what I mean. Like Corey Joseph at the time was a pretty solid guy, and it was like you know. Yeah, he was just Somebody underrated, and someone else realized it, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, yeah. he got the bag. It didn't really work out. He got the bag, and it, it did not work out. But, yeah, I agree. I think the two guys to look at the most um, in terms of potentially getting traded would be Lowry and Powell because they're both on expiring deals. and Right. Yeah, that, that always makes you a candidate to be traded. So. Um, right. Right. But as far as we were talking about the Spurs a minute ago, um, how, how do you think they should approach this trade deadline? They're currently the sixth seed in the West, uh, definitely exceeding expectations. Uh, they do have Aldridge and DeRozan on sure. expiring contracts. So do you think they should be buyers or sellers when uh, when the deadline rolls around? Um, I mean, you look at the Spurs, I, I think they, in, in a way, they're obviously sellers because they have, first of all, they have two um, – expiring deals in Petty Mills and Rudy Gay that I feel like you can move. Um, so, you know, that's 13 mil and, and 14 mil. Obviously, you want somebody to take the ghost of Marcus Aldridge. <laughs> um, I, I think that goes without saying. Uh, you know, 
the Spurs are they're a very weird team to anticipate because they do things so differently from other teams in in the league. Um, uh, it it really is hard to predict. Uh, I, I would say you want somebody to take to take Aldridge. Maybe you can take some of Aldridge's current value, and, and maybe you can get like a, a second round pick out of it. Spurs are a team that drafts interestingly enough. So you know, I feel like things like that hold a, a particular value to them that maybe other franchises don't look at it that way. Um, so you'd move Aldridge for a second round pick. If if Danny Ainge said we'll use the trade, it wouldn't be it would it wouldn't be the whole deal. It would probably be a much more complicated deal than that because he's a twenty four million dollar player. What if, what if the Celtics said we'll give you just a second round pick for Aldridge? We'll take the with the player exception. Why would the? Well, let's just um, say if they did. I, I, I don't re- I don't really know why that would be enough for the Spurs. I feel like they would have to be like we want Romeo Langford or something. I hang up from Danny Ainge. I wouldn't call it in the first place if I was any inch, but I'm just curious because I think yeah, I think just I mean, it's just like I think they're just better off without him. Like the numbers bear that out too. Like um, I don't think they should do him how they're how like the Pistons are doing Blake Griffin or like the Andre Drummond situation. But he might as well not be playing for them. So if they could get anything for him, I think it's worth it to just open up minutes for Keldon Johnson and Yaka Pertle and just the rest of the roster. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so so definitely, I think we're in agreement that you kind of sell on what this team is. You kind of, you know, I, I, there are definitely teams that would love Rudy Gay right now. No, I actually don't know if we're actually in the same boat because I think they're a good team. Like, I think they should push for the playoffs and, like, if they got a great offer for Rudy Gay, I guess. But other than Aldridge, I think they should keep this team as it is and see what they can do with it. Because... I mean, like, what, 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 do you, what do you think they could possibly do in the playoffs, though? Like, how far is the season to go um, I mean, I don't expect them to get out of the first round, but I think it's valuable. I think it's valuable though to establish yourself as a playoff team and have something to build off of, so that. True, but I mean, like like you said, you want to get something for Aldridge, but I mean, like if you get an asset for for Rudy Gay, like instead of getting your first round exit, you have something more to build your team with. You can still. And at that same time, you're playing your younger guys a little more, getting them more experience. Yeah, sure. I, I think they could. I I think depending on what they got back, like I still think they could trade Rudy Gay and make the playoffs. Like he's not that essential to them. I feel like I, I feel like you can still sell on what this team is and still try to play winning basketball. I agree. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so maybe we do agree a little more. Um, but you because yeah, like I like the core that they have. I think it's a good group of guys, and they should push for the playoffs. Yeah, I I do feel like they could make some tweaks though especially with their veterans yeah yeah that's fair so they're they 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 could be selling while still being in like a buyer's mentality yeah, of trying to win i don't necessarily think to, to sell means that you're not contending that's more the panic meter you know right. what I mean? okay yeah right 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 selling is just like this roster i'm selling yeah um, we're I'm just selling my pieces i'm, I'm right. trying to improve right i'm trying to tinker with this and make it better right so what about the Kings? Do you, do you think the Kings are, are in a buy or a sell situation? Um, how do I think they feel versus how do I feel? I think that um, they're buying their team. I think they actually like Harrison Barnes for the rest of his contract. Um, I think they like what he brings to the team as, as a locker room presence. Uh, you hear good things about him. They have De'Aaron Fox long term. 
I don't think that they're in a bad situation. Uh, they're actually like their contract situation is interesting. It, it, they it literally looks like um, like a my league cap table. They got all these front loaded deals, like these guys that are that are still kind of like in their primes. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, they've done a good job. Uh, um, you could say what you want about the guys that they signed and what it was the right move, but the contracts they've handed out have been pretty team friendly for the most part. Yeah, I was gonna say the the guys that they have for the value that they have them. It's pretty impressive, honestly. Um, yeah, for being the Kings too. Just, yeah, they just don't really have like all the pieces uh, right now. Halliburton's only gonna get better. Halliburton, I feel like, is. Uh, a massive, crucial part of what a winning version of this Kings team looks like. Um, Bagley being the second part of that. Because, I mean, like, we could be talking about, I feel like, in a year and a half, like, Garen Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Marvin Bagley being almost like a big three. And then they also have Buddy Heald and, and Harrison Barnes. Oh, so you're, you're, still, mm-hmm. you're still high on Marvin Bagley? Like it's not it's not that I've seen anything that really yeah I'm yeah, I don't, on to. yeah I don't think so it's, it's a, I'm not trying to say that I've seen like these major clashes or anything like that but he's 21 years old and yeah I I watched a lot of Marvin Bagley when he was in high school and he's got a great point guard that he's playing with and I feel like because of maybe the underwhelming performance in his rookie deal they can sign him kind of long term for something a little more team friendly just like the other guys on this roster and you know he could i mean look at julius randall yeah that's fair I mean, yeah you're, um, you're seven you're seven you know what i mean so yeah that's that, that's that, a great point yeah. yeah 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 I'm, I'm 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 buying if i'm the kings i, I kind of like the guys that we have they have a lot of um their biggest except for Corey joe their biggest contracts are all guys that are actually core parts of their team Right. Um, as much as I'd love to see Harrison Barnes on my Celtics, I'm buying. I agree. If, if I'm the Kings, personally. Yeah. So, in terms of like the trade deadline, you think it, they should be? I mean, maybe they don't make a move at all, but they should be more apt to uh, maybe like move. Like maybe they sell bag sell on Bagley or some of their other young guys and try to get like another core piece, or do you think they should be looking to maybe? trade a veteran for a, a future pick and try to maybe move more towards like the number one pick? Um, I would say moving more towards, I mean, they have a, a lot of expiring contracts uh, this year and a couple next year as well. Um, I would say moving more towards maybe you sell on Bagley. I, I, I would say if you're going to do that, you do that next season. You know what I mean? See if you can get somebody to bite, somebody to bite. Um, give you a good deal, get some assets. Uh, they definitely do need some core guys to fill out this roster, like deep to the ninth man, tenth man in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, no, I, I don't think you go crazy. I, I don't think you go crazy and reinvent the team, honestly. Uh, I, I think you keep it mostly intact. If, if any of these guys is on the way out, it's, it's healed or it's Bagley, probably. Yeah, I'm in I'm in agreement. Um, I think the only guy I would really consider trading, uh, because I don't think anyone's offering anything for Bagley. I think Buddy Heald would be the only guy I would really take offers yeah, for. He he hasn't really been quite yeah. the same this season, and so and I don't really think he was happy in Sacramento to begin with. So yeah, moving yeah, on from him. Especially when, when you have when you have Tyrese Halliburton. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Pennies on a dollar. Exactly. You know, you might 
you might be able to pass off Buddy Gill, especially on this contract. Though. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I like what the Kings are building. Uh, the record doesn't show it yet. Um, but but they have some they're good pieces. Yeah, they're fun to watch. And I like what they're building, honestly. I do too. So now I want to talk about um, something I've been thinking about for like the last week or so. Um, and obviously, the, the, just like basically everything that I talk about on this podcast, um, it's all hypothetical, but I think it's it's an interesting conversation to have as we're about halfway through the season. So obviously, the Jazz have been uh, the best team in basketball so far this year. Um, I want to say off the top of my head, they're 26 and 5, um, rattling off huge wins. Like, not only are they winning all these games consecutively, not only are they beating these good teams, but they're winning most of these games by double digits. Like I think they've won, what is it, 18, the last 19, something like that. And almost all of them have been double digit wins. Like they are rolling over teams right now. Um, but what I've been thinking about is we've seen this with other teams before where they, they really get into a groove. They're really on a roll and we're only 40, 50 games into the season. And then, you know, eventually that groove, you know, it doesn't last forever. And then mm-hmm. they're, they're just not at their peak performance when it matters most. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking that there's definitely some potential here for the Jazz to be sort of peaking too early and where, yeah. you know, they might go continue on this win streak, you know, through the all-star break and beyond. But uh, I could definitely see them cooling off to the point where, you know, they aren't this dominant you know, uh, well-oiled machine uh, come playoff time. So have you seen anything from the Jazz this year that make you think that uh, maybe that could be a possibility that they're, they're peaking too early? Um, honestly, just as, as someone who's been watching sports and been watching basketball for a little while, it's kind of the, the sort of thing that you feel like you've seen before a little bit. It's a well-coached team. Um, guys that know each other, guys that have played together, guys that have won together, not anything, you know, significant, but they've been a playoff team. Yeah, they've been a good team for a few years now, yeah. Um, you know, their their best player is young and improving. That's a big part of it. Um I they're comfortable playing with each other. It's it's a wacky season with a lot of outliers and a lot of um variables that have changed. Um it's kind of hard to tell, but my answer for you at this point in the season and what it looks like to me is, is yes, that they are peaking a little bit too early. I don't see it from them in the seven-game series. Are they really going to beat the Lakers at full strength four times in seven games? Yeah. Like, they're... like, like have, have you have, have you really have you seen that from them? Like, I, I understand that they're playing fantastic basketball right now, but have you seen that from the Jazz? Yeah, I worry. I worry that as great as they've been in the regular season, um, not that they aren't built for playoff mm-hmm. basketball because you know they have a great half court mm-hmm. offense, they have a great defense, uh, they have right. multiple guys that they can rely on. But yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't really think that. Like, if you just look at the Western Conference, you know, maybe in the first round, unless they play the Warriors, but I'm not sure there's a matchup out there in the West for them where I can definitively. I can definitively say that they have the best player on the floor. And generally in the NBA, that right. that's the team that is going to win the series. Yeah. And so it, it is yeah. hard to have a lot of faith in them making a deep run because unless Donovan Mitchell, you know, replicates his performance against the, the Nuggets in round one, it's hard to see them, 
uh, you know, yeah, being the Lakers, being the and Clippers. If he can, go ahead. Yeah, it's hard to see. It's just hard to see them beating the Lakers or the Clippers unless he goes off like that. But then you consider he did yeah. go off like that, and they still lost. I know it came down to a game yeah. seven buzzer beater, but yeah. you know Donovan Mitchell performed like nothing we've ever seen before. Literally the third highest scoring game in playoffs history, and it wasn't yeah. enough for them to to make it to the second round. So it's it's just yeah. it is tough to to have a lot of faith in them right now, but. Um, you know, it's a great team. So I think they're going to be a tough out no matter who they play. But sure. when you're projecting them uh, making a run to the finals, it's it's just tough to put a lot of stock into that. You just, you know, they, for them to get to the finals, they have to get to the Lakers, obviously. And we haven't seen anybody beat AD and LeBron in a seven-game series. and Or even come um, close, really. I don't, yeah, and I don't really know if there's – team that's going to do it is Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, and Bojan Bogdanovich. Yeah. Not, not that not that it's not a good team, but like in a seven-game series, those guys are not going to contain LeBron and AD. Yeah, not only not only am I worried about like can Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, go toe-to-toe with LeBron or Kawhi or, you know, any of those guys, like not only that, right. but who do they have to to defend LeBron or Kawhi or Paul George? Right, nobody. You know, like I, you know, I love Royce O'Neal. Like I think he's been great for them this season, um, and he's yeah, a good defender. But, but he's not he's not someone you you're really excited about to have guard LeBron. LeBron for seven for seven games. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think him combined with Joe Ingles and and Bogey. Like I just don't know if they have those standout perimeter defenders that are going right. to contain the best players. They, in a certain way, remind me of the Bucks in the last like two seasons, where it's like they're a very difficult team to play on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. Like they're a very, very difficult team to play on Thursday night. You just played the Clippers last night. You don't want to play the fucking Jazz tonight. Right? Yeah. yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, they're a tough it, team to just – play on the fly Mad without yeah without yeah. proper game planning but yeah when it comes to a yeah, playoff it, series and you're locked in on one team for two weeks yeah you can start to expose I mean, some of the holes on that you're team, gonna you know? you're it's i'm hard pressed to be like convinced that bojan bogdanovich is going to be that much better than kyle kuzma in a series uh, i mean he's a, he's a he's a better player i'm not saying that i think kuzma could play as well as him but like the, the difference is going to be incremental I see what you're getting at. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like in 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 a uh, yeah. What I'm getting at is like in a playoff series when things slow down. You know what I mean? Guys have to make stops when they matter. The yeah, like they're the Jazz. The Jazz is like four through nine. Them being better yeah. than every other team's four through nine is not going to matter as much because the one through three right. doesn't really compare. Right, and we've seen that in the past couple of seasons. I feel like with teams like the Raptors and Celtics in the East, and I, I feel like the West or the the Jazz are like that kind of team out in the West. You know they're gonna go up against LeBron and not have an answer for him. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, it's still it's still LeBron's league, and ultimately, the playoffs are gonna come down to who has an answer for LeBron. And I don't think the Jazz do. And that's really all it comes down to. And that's really that's just how the NBA is. You need a LeBron stopper still because there's so many guys who he's paved the way for now that are in the league that are just running wild. You know, you need, you know, your LeBron stopper is also the guy that you put on Kawhi and Giannis. Right. And Simmons and, you know. 
Yeah. And they just don't have that guy. All right. So the last thing I wanted to bring up on this podcast, um, just, just for fun, because I think it would be pretty interesting if this happened. So there's a pretty, pretty high potential for all five teams in the Atlantic division to make the playoffs this year. The Atlantic division is the Nets, the Sixers, the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Knicks. As of right now, the worst of those five teams is the Celtics, and they're the nine seed. And I think I think we can project the Celtics to finish in the top eight. I think this really comes down to if the Knicks can hold on to a playoff spot because the Sixers and the Nets are probably the top two teams in the East. The Raptors look like they've figured it out to a point where they're going to be competent game in and game out. They should make the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Like we said, like the Celtics should figure it out to a point where they get into the playoffs pretty comfortably, I would think. Um, mm-hmm. and so really, I think it just comes down to can the Knicks continue to play as well as they're playing and, and sneak in? What do you think? I mean, you know, you, you need to see, right, like you said, it comes down to can the Knicks sneak in because you pretty much count the Celtics in. Um, keep in mind, like with this, you have to keep in mind the playing tournament is a huge part of this. So, I, I, honestly, I think that the, the path for the entire Atlantic division like to realistically make the playoffs. Like you said, Sixers and the Nets, probably the two best teams in, in the division, that's probably not going to change. Um, you count on the Celtics turning it around and finishing in the top eight. Uh, I think what's going to happen is you need the Knicks to finish like the seven, six, seven, eight seed um, in order for this to happen. I, I worry about the Knicks going through the playing tournament, um, you know, and just kind of having like a longer playoff, basically, you know, that, that kind of starts early, even just to get in. Um, the Celtics or the Raptors, I feel like are two teams that could um, overcome that sort of obstacle because they've both been to the Eastern Conference Finals before, you know, the cores that they have. So it, it really, like, if the Knicks, if the Knicks make it in the top eight and one of the Raptors or the Celtics, or even both the Raptors and the Celtics also make it in the top eight, yeah, you can definitely see the entire Atlantic division um, in the playoffs. I, I just think you don't want the Knicks in the playoff tournament. If, if you're maybe betting on the line for that to happen or something. I wonder what the line would be. I looked it up. Um, an entire division has only made the playoffs three times in NBA history. In 2000... I was, was going to ask you how many times that has happened. Yeah, so 2000, the 2006 season, all five teams in the Central Division made the playoffs. I think that's uh, Rockets, Spurs, Mavericks, um, Grizzlies, Pelicans, I believe. What, what, what year was it? 2006. And then 1986. Uh, so the... Hornets, but Hornets, not Pelicans. Oh, I guess you might be right. That'd yeah, be, you're that'd right. Be Chris Paul's Hornets. You might be right. Um, and then 1986, the Midwest Division. Um, and then 1983, they expanded the playoffs from six teams to eight. And all five Atlantic Division teams made the playoffs. But um, okay. I, I actually heavily disagree with your take about the Knicks. Um, I think... Tom Thibodeau, if you give him two do-or-die games where all he has to do is win those two games and he makes the playoffs, um, I'm not betting against him to win um, just that I, one game. I honestly, I don't disagree with that point at all. He'll play uh, Julius Randle 49 minutes if he has to. Yeah, yeah, he will. He will play him and as that's, much as he has to. That would be, if, if you are the 10 seed, you have to win two games to make the playoffs. Yeah, two out of three, right? So the way it works is once the season ends, 
the the nine seed will play the ten seed, and the seven seed will play the eight, and the winner of the nine ten plays the loser of the seven eight for the eight seed. So let's say it's let's okay. say it's Raptors seven, uh, Celtics eight, Hornets nine, and Knicks ten. The Hornets will play the Knicks, and the Celtics play the Raptors. If the Hornets beat the Knicks. Or sorry, let's say the Knicks beat the Hornets and the Celtics beat the Raptors. The Celtics are the seven seed, and now the Raptors play the Knicks to see who gets the eight seed. So it, it's like a kind of like a, yeah, a tournament. So, so you're, you, what you, yeah, what you honestly want is, yeah, one of the Raptors and the Celtics for the to be top six. For in order for the whole Atlantic Division to probably make it. I think um, it's I think it's possible. I think the Knicks um are at least a play in team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um I just feel like, you know, when you look at the bottom three teams, Raptors, Knicks, Celtics. What you said about the, the Knicks needing to win two games to make playoffs is valid, but um I'm still taking the Raptors and the Celtics. Uh, I still trust them more than the Knicks in that yeah, yeah. situation. That's fair. Um, and you look at the competition, um, like the, the Sixers, the Nets, and Bucks. I think uh, we can anticipate those are the top three seeds in whatever order you want to put them in. Um, the Pacers are in fourth right now, and this is without TJ Warren, without Karis LeVert. I don't know if he's going to come back this season, but I, I think yeah. they're they're probably going to stay right around where they are. Raptors are fifth right now, tied with the Knicks. Then you have the Bulls at seven, Hornets eight, Celtics nine, I guess they're tied at nine with uh with Miami, and then you still have you still have the Hawks below them. You still have the Wizards who are on a winning streak right now. Like it, it's gonna be tough, but um, it's honestly looking scrappier than we thought. I think in the East. Yeah, I think I think the play in tournament. I think the play in tournament really makes it more competitive because you know we're looking at like the Wizards right now. They're, they're what? Oh shit! Hold on. Fuck. Whoa. One second. We're looking at the Wizards right now. Like they're two games back of being in the play-in tournament. But if we didn't have the play-in tournament, we'd say, well, they're the 12 seed. Like how are they going to surpass four teams? Yeah, they're out to, of it, like, Yeah, because oh, how are they going to leapfrog four teams to make the playoffs? It's not going to happen. But now with this yeah, play-in tournament, starting, I think it, we'd it just be makes it open. with them and then going down to the Eastern Conference, talking about teams that are not going to make playoffs right. in any capacity. Yeah, now it just seems more more wide open. So yeah, yeah I think I, I, I really love it. Yeah, I do too. I, I I like it because it's not like you know, unless you're the seven seed. I think that's the only the only negative of this is that if you're the seven seed, you're in danger of all of a sudden not even making the playoffs. And if you look at like the West yeah. last year, like the the top seven seeds, uh, like the Mavericks were the seven seed, and I think they had like a six game lead on the eight seed. So like in a situation like that, I think that's the only time where the playing tournament is not going to look like a good idea. But I really like it. Like, well, do, do mean, you remember when? I mean, if they're do you remember I mean, if you're six if you're six game if you're the seven seed and you're six games better than the eight seed, then you better go prove that in the play playing tournament. Yeah. If you, don't wanna, if you don't want to deal with that, be the six seed. Fair, yeah, I guess so. But like, yeah, do you remember uh, when the Blazers played the Nets in the bubble, or when they played the Grizzlies in that little playing tournament? Like those games were really exciting. Oh my God, those games were electric. They were addicting. 
Yeah, I so was I, like I was like glued to my television. I I, I was that was like as, as excited as I've been to watch basketball in a while. Yeah, so I, I think my my own team. Right, I think just putting those stakes on on games like that just it just makes it way more interesting, makes it way more entertaining. I, I think it's gonna yeah, be. Well, I mean, you get and Adam Silver's talked about this. You get a little flavor of that March Madness, like true. You know, you get a taste of that, like. You know, you're playing a game where it's like, so we got to win two games in, in three games or we're out of this. You know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. It's pretty the, the, high, like, yeah, right. It, it, it's kind of unprecedented in the structure of the league, honestly, like the way that it's, it's been for so long. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it, it's, yeah, like you said, it's introduced like a seriously exciting element. I'm, I'm literally, every time the playing tournament comes up in a podcast or any time that we talk about it, I get excited about it. I'm really excited to watch the playing tournament. Yeah, me I too. I the best basketball I, we see all year. Yeah, I've been wanting to post about it, but I've been waiting because I don't yeah, know. I want to wait, but... Yeah, I don't know who's going to make it, so I don't know exactly what to talk about, but I'm really excited for this playing tournament. Like, it's going to be gonna crazy. It's going to be exciting, dude. This is, this is definitely here to stay. This is such a great idea by them. Yeah, I, I agree. I know some people don't like it, but... I mean, it just adds more excitement, you know. This is the point that I, the point overall point that I will make. I think that you're going to see way more of teams proving it than teams getting something taken away from them. Because I mean, they're going to toss that ball up in mid court, and then the best team is going to come out on top. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, if you're if you're really better than this team, then go out there and fucking beat them. <laughs> well said. Well said. Uh, All right, I think that that's a good place to end it. Um, I appreciate you coming on. This has been a great episode. Uh, is there anything? Yeah, is there anything? Always, always have fun, man. A- anything you want to plug before we get out of here? While I'm there, you can check out what I do with my free time. Um, I won't, I won't, I won't shamelessly plug my my shit. No, go for it, man. Go for it. Go for it. This, this is this is the this is the part where you you got the floor. <laughs> this is this is plug go, corner. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Follow me on Twitter. Find out a little more about me. I I, I make music. I talk tons of shit. I, yeah he's even if one type of person yeah even if uh you aren't into the music good follow on twitter um so i'll i'll make sure to tag you too so they can go go follow you um appreciate it and i'm gonna have you on for another pod soon enough so be ready for that oh absolutely of course of course we'll sort it out i'm glad that we got to do this one because we almost didn't so yeah absolutely all right well thanks for coming on and i'll talk to you later of course i'll talk to you later all right, so that should do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. I know this was a long one, but I had a lot of fun. Next episode will be out next week, uh, just before the All-Star break. We're going to do some midseason awards and talk about some other things around the league. So, again, thank you guys for listening, and I hope you have a great day.